Welcome to Nero Knowledge. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Nero Knowledge. I am your podcast host, Nick, and with me today, as you have all been waiting for new guests at this point, is a, a kind of a good twofer. I have Dr. Rachel Santos and Dr. Roberto Santos here today. And uh, before they jump in, the thing that we're going to be talking about is a, a recent study that they've done in terms of microtime hotspots and some of that research. And I believe we'll, we'll kind of wrap up talking about uh, a book they have coming out. I know a lot of analysts have enjoyed talks from you folks, as well as some of the, uh, the material you've put out um, in the uh, IACA uh, forums. There's been a lot of discussion from time to time with your names dropped in there uh, with all the research that you've done, helping evidence-based policing and thankfully analysts uh, and being supportive in that realm. So as we jump into this, if you guys could both kind of tell us who you are, um, your how you got into this area of interest that you're working in currently and uh, and work it from there. All right, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Thanks, Nick. Um, well, I started in policing uh, about 25 years ago. As a, a graduate student, I had an opportunity to work in a police department in Arizona. Uh, and as a part-time kind of helper analyst, I, I did basically what the analysts did just half-time because I was in school. Had the opportunity then to get the full-time job, became a crime analyst until for about five years, until about 2000, went to Washington, D.C. and worked for the Police Foundation. And then um, in about 2003, became a professor down in Florida, where I had the opportunity to write um, you know, my crime analysis book and work with police departments more closely. Uh, and I had some grant opportunities. And, and, um, and now I'm at uh, Radford University here in Radford, Virginia. And um, I'm co-director, professor and co-director of the Center for Police Practice Policy and Research, where we do a lot of um, practice-based research, experimental research, and working with police departments, technical assistance, uh, implementing uh, evidence-based practices, stratified policing, and those types of things. So that's really me in a nutshell. So before I have Roberto jump in, let me yeah. let me ask you, Rachel, what was your trigger to go from working as a crime analyst and then continue into a, a higher realm of academia and doing the research? Um, you know, I had the PhD. So while I was a crime analyst, I finished my PhD and I, I loved crime analysis. So I stayed in the police department about three, three years after I, I got the degree, but I had, um, I think I went to a lot of conferences. I worked on some projects as a crime analyst, did some problem analysis. And, and I think people kind of, saw what I did and, and um, recommended me for the job at the, the police foundation. So I had a call from uh, David Weisberg who, who gave me a call and said, Hey, what are you thinking about this? You know, would you think about working here? And I said, wow, you know, what a good opportunity to, to uh, take what I know from crime analysis and what I know from my research and, and do that. So it was, is really an opportunity based on kind of being out there and going to conferences and talking to people and, and conducting research and crime analysis in the police department as well. Awesome. No further questions. Go ahead, Roberto. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, interesting fact, actually, I, I started in policing and Rachel started uh, working in the police department as a crime analyst the same month and year. So that's kind of something we found out later on. Right. We started talking. But um, so my path was a little different. So I was in uh, policing and uh, Prior to that, I was in the Marines for four years, went right into policing and uh, did a 22 year career in policing and retired in an agency in South Florida, pretty large agency, and um, worked up the ranks and uh, end up um, commanding uh, you know, pretty much all the different divisions within the agency, you know, criminal investigations, special investigations, professional standards and, and so I had a really good, uh, I had a good career and, and really enjoyed policing. And, and from there, um, you know, worked on my education for a very long time and, and started to do, uh, you know, later in my career, started to do some research um, on policing, you know, what works, 
how to make this stuff work and really concentrate on translating evidence-based strategies and really put it in, put it into police practice and which is could be more difficult than it sounds sometimes when when you're dealing with you know of what police do day to day so yeah so from there you know uh you know worked on grants and worked with a lot of police departments uh, across the united states and um uh, i'm also then we, I, i'm with rachel uh working at Bradford university i'm an associate professor there and the other she's the co-director i'm the other, other co-director of our center <laughs> uh we, we do a lot of our work and research through that nice so let me ask you, Roberta, then, since I had a follow-up for her, I got one for you as well. <clears throat> Do you find that the, uh, since you were more involved in the, the law enforcement and, you, and I'm sure, obviously, starting in patrol, do you find that the, the culture is one of the biggest uh, roadblocks for a, a growth of crime analysis and analysts within the industry of law enforcement? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, there, there are some things... Uh, culturally for in police organizations that not just utilizing crime analysis or valuing crime analysis, but just doing a certain type of um, strategies that we know work. Mm. And, and it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. You know, when, see, when we talk about, Oh, it's a cultural thing. And first thing we start thinking about, Oh, is that a negative thing? And right. Well, you know, I like to say it is what it is. It's, 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 and it's really the cultural thing when policing, it's, it's really drived based on what's the expectations of police. That's why police develop certain cultures, meaning answering calls for service, investigating crimes. Mm -hmm. And, and culturally police will develop processes to make sure they do those two things really, really, really well. And they do. And so when it comes to utilizing crime analysis, when to use it, how to use it, derive strategies from that, implementing evidence-based strategies. Those things uh, are not necessarily driving the police agency. So that's why when, when, he's, when the question is, does it, is it a cultural thing? That's the cultural thing yeah. because that's not what drives the agency. And, and, it, and it's, it's about figuring out and understanding that is how you're going to translate and change the culture in, in an agency. Yeah, I guess you, you, all of the what you were just talking about kind of, uh, you know, tied, uh, I guess, a ribbon to things a little bit more for me in terms of, um, you know, the culture is is really incentivized, but it's towards what the public kind of wants from their agency, from their police departments, from law enforcement in general. And, and at some point, and I've, I've spoken on this in podcast before, you know, our culture and society is very punitive, mostly um, in, in terms of criminal justice and, and having, you know, a large corrections population, et cetera. But um, we always want, uh, you know, the punishment to fit the crime in that aspect. And so that, that you know, is something that kind of tied that loop together for me. So I'm glad that you actually talked about it that way. I appreciate that. Wow. So with it, <clears throat> let's jump into this, uh, this new study that you guys have um, for micro time hotspots. So let's, uh, let's kind of get an idea of what, um, what the study is and how you guys came about uh, deciding to conduct this study. Well, actually, um, that's a good question, and I'll take a step back a little bit, a broader scope, uh, sure. just to, to kind of lead into this research, because um, the work that Roberto and I have done, you know, obviously he, he has the sworn side of you know, the analysis side, and when we came together to start doing research, um, at, oh, and he was a supervisor of a crime analysis unit for 10 years, so it's not like he doesn't have the expertise in crime analysis either. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, so, um, which is a different perspective uh, as a supervisor, right, as a sworn yeah. supervisor analysis unit. So he had a lot to add um, uh, about that as well. But um, in our work, you know, we really, working together, we really wanted to try, and, and we had a grant to do this to how do we institutionalize crime analysis in a police department? Mm. And, you know, I was thinking about that as, an, as a former analyst, someone who writes about analysis, and how do we get officers at every level and, you know, sergeants, lieutenants to use crime analysis? Because that's a huge 
barrier, right? Um, for crime analysts who, you know, we try to get the products right. We try to email the right people. We try to give them the right kind of stuff. But in the end, sometimes it doesn't always get where it needs to go or people don't use it as much as they should. So mm-hmm. Roberta and I had all these, con- we had a lot of conversations about how to do that. And, um, you know, the first thing we found is you have to have actionable and, and effective crime analysis. But even if you have that, it may not be used. Um, so you'd be the best analyst in the world. But if the police department's not set up to use that, analysis they won't use it you know it, mm. it just won't happen and how do you get people to do anything you have to hold them accountable for that but in order to hold people accountable you have to create expectations what are the expectations for how we're going to use crime analysis um and what is the purpose of crime analysis right so it's for pro and just you know in a nutshell it's for proactive crime reduction we we want to support Evidence, evidence-based strategies say that, you know, with, there are certain things that work. We focus on places in a certain way. We focus on people. We focus, focus. That's what's effective in crime reduction. And guess where we get the focus? From yeah. crime analysis. So it makes sense that crime analysis is integral to that. Um, but we can't just give people products and say, go and do some place-based strategies. We have to figure out, okay, in a police department, who does what? So... Uh, the officers, you do this with the crime analysis. How are we going to hold them accountable for that? What are the realistic expectations for that? How do we hold them accountable? What are the measurements that we do for accountability and then also for crime reduction? So all those questions, um, you know, we wanted to answer. And, and over the last about 10, 15 years, we came up with stratified policing, which is that organizational model that lays lays out a structure and a framework for uh, implementing proactive crime reduction, and it starts with crime analysis, period. So I'm going to pass it. Did you want to follow up? Because Roberto can talk. It talks about this. Well, I think <laughs> if it's okay, if we could continue this particular yeah, absolutely. Uh, this that's conversation, a, that's because that'll actually lead right into the actual research that you, you prompt yep. the first question um, and the purpose of that, that particular research that mm-hmm. we did. We've done similar ones to that. Um, so yeah, to carry on what Rachel was saying, as far as stratified policing, that was that was the a uh, lot of the, the trying to figure out what she just talked about, and and what we we come to understand to make this stuff work and to make people use crime analysis to have good at crime analysis is that you have to take and we actually started the conversation with the culture of policing is we have to understand the culture of policing understand or how organizations how police organizations function and then work within that realm and within the real world of a police organization and then how do you infuse what we're talking about to make things work mm-hmm. versus we have to just revamp and change everything we know about how the police is structured right that's not i don't believe a realistic approach um so you we take what we have already and then we infuse uh, these things that we're talking about. So, for instance, in stratified policing, and, and, and well, when you look at crime problems, you, there's a distinction. You will see that crime problems are broken up in immediate, short-term, and long-term uh, categories or temporal nature, right? So understanding that and then understanding, hey, there's certain pieces of analysis that can facilitate proactive work in the immediate, in the short term, and in the long term things that we have to address for crime reduction. So understanding, first understanding that these things break up in categories, understanding that there's crime analysis for these particular categories, you got to understand, okay, what works in in reducing crime? And, And Rachel touched on it. So we know that strategies that derives from place based, problem solving, person focused, community based, these strategies that are derived from these four categories works. Hmm. So we got we to gotta come up with an organizational approach, a model, a framework to make these things work. And that's where stratified policing will come into play because that's, that's the whole purpose. It's a model and it's a framework. And so now understanding that these things break up into certain categories, then we like to use, again, what works currently in policing, but what's extremely institutionalized, because that's the purpose, right? We're trying to institutionalize crime analysis, 
We're trying to institutionalize proactive crime reduction across the whole organization, not reg not uh, regulated to a, a unit or certain people, but it's part of what everybody does in a police organization. Again, that's what the stratified policing is going to do. And um, so, again, the categories, the the uh, analysis that goes with it, let's work with that. So now you have, think about what's institutionalized in a police organization. Well, what's institutionalized in a police organization, and you could go to any police organization in any state, that's calls for service. Mm -hmm. That is institutionalized. And what we mean by institutionalized is that it doesn't matter who's sick. It doesn't matter who's on vacation. It doesn't matter if the chief goes on conference for a month. Calls for service keeps going. Right. And, and it's, it's extremely institutionalized, right? It doesn't matter what supervisor you work with. You, I could be in one district and then I'm assigned to another district. It's the same. Yeah. The, the standards yeah. are, are the same. You know, that we have this understanding in the organization how calls for service should act. But with that, it even goes much deeper than that if you think about it. So even with the calls for service, it depends on the type of calls for service will dictate how many officers show up. Does a supervisor show up? Does a lieutenant, does a commander show up? Does specialized units come out because of that calls for service? Okay. So that calls for service dictates a lot. And the way we structure, uh, the way we have police organization structure with all kinds of things that facilitate that technology, accountability, policies. I mean, there's a slew of things that helps uh, informal, formal, um, um, accountability uh, uh, will push that uh, push that process of cost for service. So thinking about those different categories of crime problems and analysis that fits between those crime uh, categories of uh, problems, um, we said, hey, in order to make this work like we do for cost for service, let's treat crime reduction in the same way. Mm -hmm. Depending on the type of problem, the and, and we do this with cause of service, depends on how complex it is. You, you're not if we get a, a barking call, a barking call, uh, call for service. Obviously, that's going to be treated totally different if we have a you know, robbery in progress. Right? So you're going to have for a barking call, you're going to have an officer show up. You're not going to have supervisors. You're not going to have different units. For a robbery, you, you're going to have a lot of more moving parts, right, to help right. facilitate that cost of service. No different for, for crime reduction. Some of this stuff in the immediate level, officers can handle that. But some of these things that goes that gets moved up, that becomes a little more complex, say things in the short term, crime patterns, microtime hotspots, those type of repeat costs for service, who should be handling those? Mm -hmm. So that should be moved up to a higher rank, just like a calls for service. When when a calls for service becomes more complex, the officer is no longer in charge. It's the person that's expected to be in charge. And that's the supervisor who's showing up or the commander showing up. And they take actual initiative. They actually take charge of what is going on and, and assist the coordination. No different for, for uh, crime reduction. So officers should be doing something. Sergeants should be doing something. Lieutenants, commanders, assistant chiefs. Everybody should be playing their job, their role to facilitate crime reduction, utilizing certain pieces of analysis that helps uh, the overall coordination of crime reduction. No different than a cost for service. So we want to use what works in, for policing, what's been institutionalized, the same processes, the same ideas and we're just going to put um, we're going to utilize stratified policing to make uh, what we know work, uh, make it work in policing. I went on for a while there. Sorry about yeah. that. But. No, that's that's great. I actually think it explained it well. I mean, in terms of, uh, like you said, a lot of analysts have a hard time just as you kind of began this is um, saying that. You know, it's, it's pretty much buy in. I think one of the biggest questions for analysts is just trying to get that buy in, but knowing um, having this model in order to provide people with their roles already gives them their buy-in for crime analysis at that point. Well, yeah. And I think <clears throat> if I could jump into, um, you know, with it, it, as an organizational model, stratified policing starts with the, you know, the chief, the chief says, okay, this is how we're going to do it. Right. It's not starting with the analyst. The analyst 
is the voice of the chief. The analyst is the truth teller in the organization. So voice of the chief, meaning that anything that, you know, in this calls for service analogy, Roberta was talking about, the call, the, you know, the citizen calling the police department saying, hey, I need help in stratified policing, the crime analysis product is the call for service hmm. that goes out and officers or sergeants, lieutenants, whoever react to that. And that call and that an analysis is is from the chief. So the chief in, in stratified police, we have, you know, where they, the chief and everybody decides what kind of analysis is produced and why and how people are going to be held accountable for that. So the analyst is the voice of the chief. And then in that's kind of the beginning of, of the uh the process and at the end of the process in terms of kind of book, crime analysis bookend. So, okay, we've had the analysis, we've gone out, we've, we've implemented the place-based strategies, the center focus. Does it work? How do we know what we're doing works? Well, the analysis comes in on that side, which is the truth teller to say, right. Hey, if we're identifying crime patterns, if another crime happens in that crime pattern, I'm going to put it out as an analyst. Mm -hmm. And maybe not all the captains who are being held accountable or people being held accountable want that to go out again because they want it to go away. They don't want to have to respond anymore. <laughs> it's, the, it's the crime analyst's job to put that out. Say, hey, no, you know, we need to keep working on this. Or the statistics on a, a you know, on a, in a district or in a problem area to say, hey, yeah, you guys are doing a great job or you're not. We need to still work on this. And that's this. That's the analysis on that side, too. So I think. Um, you know, this whole, the whole stratified policing, while it's a, an approach for the whole organization, the analysts don't have to work at buy-in because it's the organization's job. Right. It is right. a model for the organization. The analysts, I'll be honest with you, when we work with agencies, the crime analysts, um, you know, and I know one of the frustrations I had was, you know, people don't use your stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, it gets cranked up. If stratified policing analysis, it, it, it gets to the point where, you know, they go on a vacation and people are like, where's the analyst going? But they can't go on vacation because we need, you know, we need to have coverage. We need to have these things come out. We need to know. So it becomes integral um, and really stratified policing. It is integral to that whole process. Yeah, that's always <laughs> definitely an interesting part. I had a, uh, a peer, an analyst who went on vacation. He came back this week and his Monday um, it, it was his first vacation, I think, as an analyst. So when he came back, it was you know, drowning, just like most analysts end up getting into when they come back because now they're backlogged for however long they were gone, plus, you know, what whatever needs to be caught up on before they left, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's good to, to have that in place. My question, since we're, um, you know, an agency that works as, as a public service, is there room or, or any role for um, civilians, members of the community to be involved in stratified policing? Well, yeah, absolutely. Because one of the things we know that um, helps with crime reduction is community-based uh, strategies, which, you know, is community policing is one of the most popular, uh, and that's different forms. What does that look like? You know, a lot of different things come from that. But um, obviously, um, you know, we always advocate, you know, um, you could you could try and do crime reduction without uh, community policing or having uh, legitimacy and strong relationships with community members. Um, but boy, it will be a lot easier and much more effective if you do have that relationship and the legitimacy. Because a lot of these strategies will put you in places, will put you in places where people, where the community needs the police. Right. They're calling the police. Uh, will have you interact with people that uh, can be or, or people that are you're focusing on uh, for obvious reasons. And it's it's extremely important that the community, and this is the community based part of it, um, that the community understands why you're there, what are you doing there, and the purpose of you being there. And as 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 you have this part of the organization, um, the way they operate, way it's operating, um, that becomes much more clear and transparent, mm -hmm. and thus helps the legitimacy of your actions. And when you take actions, that the community understand why you're taking certain actions, and it's not necessarily overreaction of something. And if it's done correctly, that the community will accept what you're doing because they know that ultimately what you're trying to do is make a better community for them. Right. 
And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, that is one of the things that we advocate. And, and again, going to stratified policing, that's one of the four categories that in everything you do, um, you have to think about that community policing aspect of it. Uh, that'll only help uh, your act. That, that will only help when you do specific crime reduction strategies. Um, you will, uh, the agency will just be much more effective and a lot more buy-in, a lot more partnership. And it just, you'll be just, you'll have better results. It's just the way it is. Yeah. It sounds like long-term too. I mean, obviously with some of the, uh, um, the way <laughs> society is, is running at this moment, some of the disturbances that are, are happening and, and questioning of what's going on, this, this can be definitely a good way to, um, reconnect uh, those community ties. I think that have been lost. And uh, as you talked about, there's some level of transparency there, and obviously uh, a trust at that point between the agency and the people in the community because they understand now what's going on, as opposed to understanding what might be on certain, uh, you know, criminal TV shows, SVUs, your CSIs, and things like that that obviously don't paint the proper picture of how policing sometimes works. So. You know, and also, Nick, I think um, with the community, one of the things about stratified policing, it also starts with goals. So the agency, a lot of times, doesn't have established crime reduction goals um, where they'll have your strategic planning goals or their goal is to reduce crime. You know, that's not enough. And so everything in stratified policing is kind of laid out. It's tailored to the agency. When we work with the agencies, we take the model and the framework and tailor it for for the resources, the, the type of crime, all that stuff that they are facing. And one of the key things is developing and, and stating those goals at the outset and the community um those goals can't just be goals of the police department and what the police department thinks are the problems it has to include community considerations what what are they concerned about um in, in addressing and as well you know with crime analysis as crime analysts are helping police and creating say for example crime patterns an important part of stratified policing is informing for example, you know, talking to the community about a, you know, five residential burglaries that are happening in the last two weeks, and so the crime analyst with that can provide a sanitized bulletin. It doesn't have all the, you know, offender information and all that, but it has information that the, the citizens can use to protect themselves, keep an eye out, mm. and all that. So there are, are roles within where the analyst can help engage the community to help with this process too, even on the, even on the. Uh, you know, day-to-day, uh, immediate, even looking at long-term problem areas, you know, there's analysis, there's things that the analysts can share as well that, that, again, brings in the community and addresses the issues that they're concerned about, too. Yeah, that's awesome to fold them in that way. Um, because I, I, there tends, I work at an agency that is very small um, and in a small community. And even when I got started, we weren't connected via social media. And there was some ideas from officers that the community didn't care about them didn't like them didn't want them to be around and when that that door was open even in terms of social media and starting to share information um, with the community try to keep them informed scams that were going on etc they um, some of these officers were were surprised at the response and how positive it was it's like well you you can't always base your uh, perception on the few because you're that's a very skewed and limited uh, perspective on what what it is that your community is perceiving of you so um, and definitely a great idea to put out bulletins to the public i know sometimes some analysts may want to and then end up being restricted um, within their agency for sharing information uh, with the public or interagency so um, I've always enjoyed uh, reading through and seeing the stratified policing model because it is such a great uh, all-encompassing outlook on how to move forward, have accountability, use analysis in a very strong and positive uh, manner to help the police agency, help the community, and have those as you as, you're well aware because you came up with it, the crime reduction strategies to go into place and actually get um, this system working up and running and pretty well be, uh, um, pushing more evidence-based policing, but having a strong model to work off of for it. And, you know, and, and just to you know, kind of move in since we're talking about patterns and, and talking about that, I think 
you know, one of the things we do in our research is um, it's really important for us to do the practice-based research, right? To sort mm. of take these ideas that we're talking about and um, not just create an, an artificial experiment or an artificial study for the sake of the research, but to take what an agency is doing uh, already or and improve it or like implement it first, evaluate that or, um, you know, do that research in, in practice, which what is what we call practice-based research. But, and that really leads into the, the study that, that we were, um, that you asked about originally, that we kind of got off a little bit off track. But I told you we'd get back to that. Yeah, we'll get back to it. So, but I think it's a good segue, if you don't mind, Nick. That, Absolutely. That, um, Go for it. <laughs> this, this study uh, we're talking about was a, and, and we'll use some researchy terms, but we'll, you know, it's random, it was a random control trial, a blind, a blind random control trial. Uh, studying microtime hotspots, which are, and microtime hotspots is a, a term that Roberto uh, came up with in his dissertation and his research that he's done, which is a, a short-term microtime, right? Short-term hotspot, a cluster of uh, crimes in an area over a couple of days, a couple of weeks. And, you know, what we know is pattern hotspots, right? In crime analysis literature. Yeah. Um, and so this study was looking at is response to microtime hotspots effective? Is if officers respond to these things with what we know is hotspot, uh, hot larger long-term hotspot strategies that have been shown to work, um, directed patrol, uh, subject stop, vehicle stops, working with community, you know, informing the community, kind of what we were just talking about, is does it reduce crime? Mm -hmm. in, does it reduce crime in the hotspot? Not reduce crime in the entire city, but really focus on, on that, that pattern, that, that microtime hotspot. So um, what we did was we worked with an agency that had already institutionalized, and Roberta said, had institutionalized their responses to microtime hotspots. And that meaning, um, you know, they had an analyst, they had certain criteria uh, that they did, you know, three crimes within a certain radius, met, met the criteria for a pattern when they would put it out. There were certain requirements that the officers had to respond starting when as soon as a pattern came out for 14 days if there was an additional crime they would um respond 14 days from that crime you know so these are things that were already standardized in the police department so we did an experiment we went to the chief and said hey um we really want to test whether this is effective whether what we're doing we do we think it is um whether it's effective so how about this? How about we work with the analyst and we will randomly pull, the analysts will do their job just like they do. We will randomly pull some of these some of these patterns out and then there will be no response. And those will be our control patterns, obviously, just like in any um, experiment. And then we will put out the other ones and then the police will respond as they always do. Mm -hmm. And because we didn't change the way anyone was doing their jobs, we could make it blind, which meant that only the chief and the assistant chiefs, the analysts and us knew that the study was happening. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, you talk about a Hawthorne effect and people know they're being studied, they act differently, right? So right. we wanted to, to be able to do that. And we were lucky enough to do that. So we did this process for two years, um, two solid years of pulling these, these uh, bulletins and how we call it uh, the trickle flow randomization. But all that means is as the pattern was coming out, the analysts would identify it based on set, their set criteria. They would send it to us. We would have a, a randomized uh, kind of number generator that says, is this one a treatment or a control? And we would pull the controls and they would put out the treatment uh, microtome hotspots as normal. And um, then they would respond and, we, and they would analyze the control and the treatment hotspot, the, the patterns the same. So if there were additional crimes, right, the analyst would, would update that and put it back out for the, the treatment ones for response. The control ones, when there was additional crime, they just kind of, they held that back, but they actually created another bulletin just like they would uh, normally. Hmm. And then we had the analysts help us out and, and go 90 days after this pattern after the patterns were done, you know, it was, uh, after it came out, we, they looked at 90 days after that and, um, to see if crime lasts, you know, the impact lasted a longer time. So looking at the treatment and control nice. there, um, did I miss anything? Okay. Okay. I'm going to make sure. Cause I know. And so, well, just to add that we did some previous, 
yeah. research on this, which were quasi experiments, uh, obviously random control trials that Rachel's explaining now is, is uh, a stronger. Uh, so we wanted to kind of build on some of the research that was that was already existing. Uh, and, and what she's describing uh, is what we came up with. Yeah, so so we were able to do it for two years, which is awesome. I mean, the police department was great working with us. And um, and so we just compared. It's a pretty simple. Once you, you set up a, a, an experiment like this, the analysis of whether it works or not is fairly straightforward because you've done all the work, um, you know, in the methodology itself. So what we found was just quickly we found um, that you know, and like I said, the responses were really putting officers, we, we were saying, you know, get in there 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time, as many times as you can within this whole bigger framework, which is what they were already doing. Mm -hmm. We found about five 20 minute responses per day uh, for about 19 days. And these were micro time hotspots of residential burglary and um, residential theft from vehicle. Uh, so both of those crimes, um, mostly separate, but sometimes they're, they mixed up a little bit, uh, they were together. And, and this was mostly directed patrol without a lot of other suspicious activity uh, ha uh, being contacted. So it was a lot of patrolling, some arrests, some uh, subject stop vehicle stops, but mostly, um, like I said, directed patrol. And we found that after 15 days, there was a 75% difference, a reduction in the control, in the uh, treatment hotspot. So when there was a response, um, after the first 15 days, which it was a 14 day minimum response. So that makes sense. They were still, they were responding. It was 79% lower hmm. after 30 days. Um, it was 74% lower when police responded. So again, the average was 19 days. So that, so that 30 days, there was some impact even after the responses were over. Um, and then we also, like I said, we looked out, so we looked at 15, 30 days, 60 days and 90 days. And um, we found that the greatest effects for the study were in that first 15 days, followed by the next uh, up until 30. And then there was an impact um, all the way out the 90 days. So it's not like, I guess the, the way to say it is the officers responded for, for the two weeks. Sometimes they had to get a little longer because there were a couple more crimes. But once those responses stopped, the crime didn't just happen again. It just didn't come back. Right. And we did look for spatial displacement around to see if they just kind of moved around a little bit. And that didn't exist either. So um, we are really excited. The, the results have been published recently. I know, Nick, I sent you that article uh, in 2020 uh, just recently. So we're really excited about the impact here. Yeah. And if I could just add to that another we didn't this wasn't a part of what we were uh, trying to determine, but we found to be true is that out of all the um uh microton hotspots that we held on to for control only three times three times where the commander noticed something noticed that hey it seems like there's a pattern going on here and then and, and asked the crime analyst uh hey am i missing something but i think something's happening here you didn't put something out hmm. Um, and, and again, that was out of, uh, we had over a hundred controls. So only three times where we had to throw those out, obviously, and then put, we end up putting them out, uh, distributing the information and then excluded them from the research. But that goes to show something and, and, and other research has confirmed this, that, and this is an agency who was doing this institutionalized this process where again, officers, sergeants, commanders had certain roles to play when these products would come out um, that officers and, and supervisors and so forth are, are just not as attuned to where these crime patterns are happening. It, right. It's just a right. difficult thing. And so you need that analyst to be looking at that, right? You need that person to that's dedicated to do that type of work. So I think, well, that was a kind of, we didn't, go to try to find that out, but we found that out afterwards. Um, and it goes with other literature and research that's out there. And it just kind of emphasized the importance of, of the role that crime analysts play and, and when it comes to crime reduction. Yeah, it's, I think that's definitely something that that's been seen. So just to kind of recap that last little piece we were talking about, Roberto, are you, are you saying that, that uh, some research more, show, more so has been showing that uh, obviously the analyst has the better grasp because they're digging through the data 
on um, the the goings ons in in town in different hotspots and in obviously whatever they're analyzing, then uh, in a sense most command staff and I, I'll, I'll um, succeed this a little bit with that that um, in a sense should be obvious and it's not a fault to command staff or anything like that where they should be doing more of their administrative work as they're uh, assigned to do. Um, personally, definitely great that somebody saw those three and was like, hey, I think something's going on there. And it's like, hey, that's great. And now I, my question was, would end up being that popped into my head, is that somebody who has been paying attention to this um, analytical process and, and the materials that are coming out and actually is kind of in tune reading through the material and being a little bit more driven that way in an analytical sense? So I know I have a, a couple questions in there. Uh, that last one was really just me uh, uh, thinking out loud. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, so I'll answer the last one. I think that <laughs> what happened with those particular situations was that the control, since there weren't getting any responses, it did start to get, a, a, lack of better words, a little out of control. Mm, okay. <laughs> so it, it started to kind of, uh, the, the crimes in, in the short term was just not slowing down. And so it kind of caught the attention to enough where they, they, they inquired about it. Um, so, I mean, to, to kind of wrap up what you're saying, uh, we, we advocate. And, and, and again, part of the process is that the analysts are to scan, analyze and, and evaluate and let police do what they do really well and respond, mm -hmm. you know, let those responses be uh, evidence-based coordinated We police do that really well. I mean, will you tell, you tell police what works. They're masters at at coordinating that stuff. And again, I go back to that calls for service analogy. Yeah. I, if you want to see something impressive, go to a, a, a serious calls for service where at an untrained person or someone that hasn't experienced it would see chaos and, and the police in their eyes, they're seeing control coordination and, and, and getting the situation under control. Police are good at that. I mean, I mean, generally speaking, they're just really good at that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, so let police do what they do really well. Let it be evidence-based. Um, you have to create uh, expectations to, so they can do those type of uh, responses. And, I, and, and analysts play the vital role of scanning, analyze, and evaluation, but based on what's upon, agreed upon, not necessarily what the analysts think when they want to think, but we have to set standards and structure to that process too. So it's not a moving target. Everybody knows what the expectations are. When products come out, it's, it's because it met the threshold. They have to trust that. Hey, this is not just what this analyst thought today. This is something as part of our system. Right. It met a threshold. The analyst is going to produce it. I have to respond to it knowing that the analyst is going to evaluate what's happening there. Um, so that's part of, yeah. So everyone, again, everyone has to do their part, do their job, not just officer, sergeant, lieutenant moving on up, uh, the analysts as well, because they play a very important role in this process, obviously. So if I could conclude, Nick, <laughs> so, so if I conclude, um, this is, the, you know, as a former analyst and being in this field for so long, number one, we need crime analysts, period, right. um, to be focused, to be effective, we absolutely need crime analysts. Number two, and most of crime analysts do this already, and that is pattern analysis. Mm -hmm. So um, we need pattern analysis and, and doing pattern analysis, even though a lot of times we get frustrated that we put these patterns out and who knows what happens with them. <laughs> when it's done correct, when police respond, it is effective. So doing pattern analysis is also worthwhile. We need analysts. We need them to do pattern analysis, and, you know, with other things as well. Yeah. And, but that is an effective process, at least as far as we've studied it, um, obviously with the other, and Roberta referenced other research and all the hotspots literature and all that. I mean, obviously this, our study is one study. So we can't say we don't change, you don't change the world with one study. Um, but it, it, it's in line with what we know about all the other place-based hotspots policing studies as well. So good news. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely is. And so... <clears throat> As I, I listen to you guys speak about all of this, it seems as though, and I guess correct me if I'm wrong, it's still to utilize uh, swarm personnel and their reactive capacity 
and making the analyst and their analytical work the proactive aspect that they are reacting to in order to, to achieve this crime reduction. Is that a good, yes. like, simple <laughs> statement? That's great. Yeah, that's yeah. Going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's what I think a lot of people um, are, are trying to, to drive towards. I shouldn't say a lot, but... Um, you know, some agencies who are, are starting to come into crime analysis or looking to maybe rework it, add more analysts uh, in whatever circumstance there might be. And knowing that there's a lot under budget, it sounds as though across the, the U.S. there is a reduction in people actually even applying for law enforcement positions. Um, so with that, that limited allocation and uh, some of uh, the the reactionary uh, aspect of law enforcement it really puts them on their heels and having that analytical capacity, it, uh, whether it's a secretary doing a part-time work for it or, or a full-blown analytical unit, analysis unit, um, that can definitely help gear them back on track and into a better realm of, of, of crime reduction instead of just, uh, you know, again, being up against the ropes as some agencies definitely are. <clears throat> so, I mean, yeah, just to kind of add the on to what you're saying, we, we often use a saying, we often say, you know, because we, we, we talk to a lot of, we work with a lot of police departments, obviously, mm-hmm. and, and trying to implement these things. And, and, and they, you know, for a lot of reasons, they say uh, why perhaps they, they can't do some of this stuff, why they cannot be proactive uh, resources and, and stuff like that. So we will say stuff, and I usually say, you know, you do the best you can with what you have smartly and with an analyst that they'll get you there. Yeah. Because you can't be as effective and and utilize what little you do have in the best way that you possibly can without that analytical aspect of it right. uh, and evaluation of it. So. Uh, yes, we often say that, you know, uh, kind of going with what you're saying, uh, when you, the, the least amount of resources you have, the more analytical you want to be. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a good idea. Yeah. Uh, uh, thankfully, yeah. I've heard in the last couple of years, there were some agencies that have, uh, you know, had had to make a decision of whether hiring a new or another um, uh adding, I should say, adding to their roster another patrol officer or detective uh, or, or somebody along those lines and actually opted instead to add uh, a crime analyst or add another crime analyst. And uh, it was it was kind of shocking to hear because it's still not a uh, um, kind of a modern thought process to have for most agencies or, or personnel therein. So it was it was good to hear that that's continuing on or starting to, you know, take more of a foothold at this point. So, um, so before we wrap up this whole aspect, is there a, a call to action for the listeners? I know we've gone through a lot of great material and, uh, Oh, and before we do that too, the book you have, you guys have a book coming up. Let's do that too. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I appreciate you bringing it up. Um, yeah, no, uh, kind of everything that we're talking about yeah. um, is, is uh, our book is uh, called Shocking Stratified Policing. <laughs> <right>? uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's a, just a proactive crime reduction uh, with accountability. Um, and it lays out everything we're talking about. And it, what, what, what I like about the book, what we like about the book, and I'll let Rachel jump into this after this point, is that it's um, we – we take the time to discuss actually some of the things we talked about here, obviously uh, the cultural things, and, but ways to get, a, to, to get over the hump, mm. ways to think about how to really incorporate this, 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 this thinking and, and not just at a 30,000 level, you know, capacity where you're just kind of talking about ideas. We really get down into the nitty gritty of, Hey, this is how it, how it could, this is how it should play out. Uh, the nuts and bolts of it, and this is how you do A, B, and C, and how you hold people accountable, and and uh, all the mechanisms you need in place to to make this stuff work. And we break it down chapter to chapter, where um, you could read this and walk away saying, "Okay, I understand." And I'm a big believer in 
you got to explain the why, right? Why are we yeah. doing this? Why should we do this? But you walk away with why should we do, do this? And equally important or more important how to do it <laughs> and how do we do it realistically in policing in the real world of the chaos sometimes we call policing and you know and and that's really important i think so we're really proud about that with the book yeah just to, to finish up too um this is for a professional series for the publisher so this is not an academic book it's not a book for a classroom necessarily except for maybe a leadership class for policing it's it's a it's a pro professional series we wrote it with you know obviously we both have a lot of practical experience even though we're we're in an academic setting now and so that was really important for us too so you know it's pretty to the point um it it is not a book for crime analysts in the sense of it's not a crime analysis book a crime analyst will love it and will appreciate it and crime analysis is obviously throughout the whole thing but it's not a how to too about how to do crime analysis. It's how it fits into what the police should be doing. We do have some examples of a couple maps and, and you know, a product or two, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, because in stratified policing is very specific of what we uh, think works because we've, we've tested different things out, but it's really for the, the agency. And so again, we're excited to be able to, we've been working on this for a long time, but to be able to lay out and write it down, which is amazing when you write stuff down, how it's, uh, you can really vet it out. Yeah. So it'd be good for analysts to then pass along to their command staff <laughs> if they well, don't feel like they're getting yeah. the, the right uh, the right push. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, like Rachel said, I think it, it's, a, it's, a, an, it's an organizational approach. So it's not the analyst. You know, the yeah. analyst is not going to, you know, Analyst is not going to change your organization. I right. mean, I know, um, let's be, we have to be realistic. Uh, um, and they help. They, there's important process, uh, process for them to play, important roles to play. Um, but uh, to change an organization, we have to change our organization the way we do any other change in a police organization. And we laid that out in, in, in the book too. How do change happen in a police organization? Well, there's a certain, or police know how to make change in an organization. Trust me. Yeah. I've experienced a lot. Uh, we've seen a lot, and they they're good at it. It's just how do you make how do you utilize those same processes to make the changes for uh, uh, institutionalizing proactive of policing and utilizing crime analysis. So to sum that up, yeah, I think it's equally important for everybody in an organization to, that's going to be thinking this way to 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 read this information and. Um, also, we try to keep it very simple in a sense of let's not be, let's not try to uh, think of every possible piece of a crime analysis product that a crime analyst could produce. Why not? Wait, why yeah. not? That's why that's a rubber has so, to stop me from doing that. <laughs> let's, that's a whole other let's stick. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Let's stick to what we know works. Let's stick to what is uh, easily actionable operational and and there are a few things that really do work really well and let's just get those things into practice and and so we can see the changes that we want yeah that's awesome so to wrap it up now that we've got the book under under uh, the umbrella here the call to action for the listeners what do you got that's for good me? Rachel, what do you oh got? my gosh! Yeah, that's funny. Well, Paul, actually, I mean, I, I think it's the pressure um, point now, right? Yeah. See now, I, see now, I'm thinking of a good answer. Why I just yeah. pushed her, <laughs> throw her under the I bus. Think, yeah, I think, think. Yeah, I think I already said a little bit. You know, for a police chief and for for um, a command staff, you need an analyst if you want to be effective. If you want to get the most out of your people, if you want to do crime reduction effectively, you need an analyst. For the for the crime analyst, the, the call to action I would say would be, um, you know, is to, to, to do the products you do, do them well, and make sure what you do is action-oriented, evaluation-oriented. You can't mm -hmm. control the police department, but, they, but I know a lot of analysts who really can influence their command staff. But as an analyst, don't think about influencing your command staff for uh, to get them to use a product differently or get them to do the officers differently, but maybe even to get to expose them to new ideas to, hey, you know, this response and this uh, this article or, the, you know, to expose them because, 
you know, as a, especially a civilian analyst, even a, a sworn analyst who, who maybe is a, a line officer, it's hard. Um, you're not telling anybody what to do, but mm-hmm. you do, you know, they do trust what you say. Hey, you know, here's some new ideas. Here's some things. If, if to be more effective in my job, look, th- these are some options. These are what some other agencies are doing. So I think um, there's a couple things there. Now, Roberto, so, he had his time is, to is think. Is this a so. call for action for analysts or just a call for action generally? <laughs> you can do both. You, Rachel, <laughs> Rachel has a couple of, uh, of audience members to go after on that one. So, you know, right. t- take it whichever so call, way you need to. <laughs> okay, so call for action. All right, so first and foremost, what we're talking about is doable. All mm-hmm. right, so we have to, we got to, you know, just understand that. It's doable. It's doable. We've seen it happen too many agencies and we understand what it takes to make it happen so it's doable that and for police to just you know i I try to use a quick analogy in in medical we don't go to doctors where as a as police talk as a captain i'm not going to go to a doctor and say hey i need i need a medical procedure i think i'm I'm not feeling well and the doctor says well I, i have a gut feeling you know we should do procedure a you know, that, you know, as a captain in the police department, you're going to be like, I don't feel too confident with this person. They go to another doctor and a doctor says, hey, based off of 30 years of research and evidence, and this is the procedure we need to take. And I just tell sworn people, just you just think that way. Think more about the evidence and, and think about uh, let's utilize things we know works and let's think more about how do we incorporate that stuff in our business that we do as police yeah. uh, spend yeah. more time doing that versus um, uh, not accepting uh, uh, this oh, stuff yeah. specifically to crime analysts. I'll pick on crime analysts for a second. I'll say, <laughs> <laughs> I say, what, I say whatever you produce. No, first keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple. Not that in it, because it's just, easier to operationalize so keep it simple um not let's not try to get too fancy Uh, i'll rather take a few products that are simple and i can operationalize it and institutionalize it than have 10 fancy products and i can't get it operationalized right Right. so as an analyst think that way and number two whatever you put out make sure it is good and make sure it is the best product that you could put out based on the data, based on the info, the intel that you're getting, that you double, triple, quadruple check it and make sure you're proud about every single piece of information you put out because um, the last thing you need uh, is or, or people that are going to use it question what you're putting out because they will utilize that for excuses not to react to what you're putting out. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Something that hasn't been brought up before. Yep. That's good. To go back to your medical analogy, I actually was speaking to my chief earlier this morning about <clears throat> not medical stuff, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the interesting irony of law enforcement and, and trying to implement crime analysis in some of the practices and procedures of law enforcement is the fact that in order to get a conviction in court... You need evidence, but yet you will continue to put in your policies and procedures based on gut feelings, even though somebody can back that with evidence for you. And so it's a very interesting uh, thing to hear about. I still don't remember where it came from, uh, but somebody had put out several months ago that here was this uh, uh, couple of detectives, had evidence, had the analyst help them out went to one of the higher command staff and said, hey, you know, this is what we should be doing and checking out this neighborhood at X, Y, and Z and uh, to try and solve what's going on. And that command staff just said, nope, based on my experience, this is what we're going to do and we're going to keep doing it that way. So it's, you know, it's an interesting, uh, I like the medicine one. I might actually try that. I mean, my chief's good, but with other people, that medicine one actually might work out pretty well. Um, yeah. you know, putting it more into, uh, I guess a life or death scenario, right. Is really what you boil down to in terms yeah. of medicine. Well, I can relate to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it puts everything in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you listen to some of those, uh, you know, pharmaceutical commercials and yeah, right. listen to them ramble through. 
Well, thank you very much, guys. And for those who are listening, um, we will put uh, some links up so that way you can consume some more of this information, where to find that research, as uh, as well as where you can find Rachel and Roberto in order to get in touch with them if, if need be, um, if with some of their other material, a lot of great stuff they have, and a link to the, the new book that's coming out. Um, so we'll have a whole bunch of stuff in the, in the show notes for everybody. And, uh, you know, thank you guys for taking the time to uh, talk to the audience about stratified policing and, and this research. Uh, it's great stuff. And I know everybody who's listened to you guys have fully enjoyed and embraced uh, stratified policing. So thank you. <laughs> thanks, Nick. Uh, yeah, thanks, Nick. And thanks to your audience as well. Take care, guys. Another great episode of Nero Knowledge. Thank you for listening to the podcast and remember to share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite service. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me at nick at neroca.com. It is nick at neroca.com.